Hello and welcome to the Brian Moylet podcast. I'm your host, Brian Moylet, former Irish age grade international rugby player turned high performance mindset coach. Each week on this podcast, I bring you an interesting person or message to help you discover how to be happier, more fulfilled and more successful. My new book, The Book on How You Become a Pro Rugby Player is available now on Amazon and Audible with links in the show notes. If you love this podcast, please send on some friends. You can subscribe on both Apple Podcasts and Spotify and can also leave five star reviews there. Thanks, Emil, for spending some time with me today. Now let's get into it. So I'm here with Ricky Tahiri, who is game developer at Canterbury Rugby and also a coach, does a few different things. But first up, cheers for jumping on, Ricky. Not too easy. Glad to be here. Cheers. And so chat to me a little bit, like we were just talking about earlier, about what you do in Canterbury Rugby and what's your role here. Yeah, I guess the easiest way to explain what I do um, is probably look at what our kind of our mission or our purposes here at Canterbury Rugby Union which is to unify and serve our community and so pretty much when it comes to out there in club land I'm there to help support coaches and go in and do coach observations and run um, courses or anything and just support our coaches the best way possible that we can to ensure that our players can have a really good experience Um, and then on the player side of things work largely within the junior teenage space um, do a little bit of stuff with the seniors but just kind of helping um, upskill those junior players to make sure that I don't know they can do tackle clinics and all that all that type of stuff so a bit of a jack of all trades when it comes to all things rugby out on the out on the grass for our community yeah good stuff yeah. and yeah like I met you out in the grass there about four or five weeks ago and yeah chat to me about like what you do to help the coaches or support them because that's something I think is so important that you know I lived in USA and Canada and, and coaches often don't get much support yeah I guess for us here um, and I probably have to go back to like one of your previous guests you had Fruby on a few weeks ago and I think between him uh, Goldie and, and Kim Brown that were the three RDOs at that stage their big focus um, they started developing that coach education space because they saw probably more of being the the people on top of the cliff rather than the ambulance at the bottom of the cliff so going in and helping clubs when they already hit rock bottom how about we actually go up top and start developing and growing the coaches so that our coaches can I guess be better prepared to help develop our um, our players and so Pretty much uh, the last three guys that were in that space, Blair Baxter, Jimmy Sinclair and Kahu Kerry, those three men have done pretty much a bang up job on just carrying on that kind of legacy and that that mantra. So they've been huge in that coach education space, which is, for example, we'll run um, foundation courses for beginning coaches and take them through how to plan sessions what does this what does a session what should a session look like all those types of things and then we've got our drc which is developing rugby coaches that's a two and a half day course we take our coaches through a whole raft of stuff through um principles of play what does attack look like what does defense look like um really get into the more of the technical side of 
rugby and then we've got our performance courses and that's where we start getting preparing our coaches what does probably the next level of coaching look like and really dive into the the analysis side of things but we also are really aware that a lot of coaches are out there they're not they're doing it as volunteers to help their club because um I recently talked to Wayne Smith and he said his darkest days was when he stopped playing rugby and so he started coaching because he wanted to still have it be involved in the team and a lot of our coaches are like that right so a lot of our coaches want to be still in the environment they still want to be around the players they still have that competitive edge and they still have a little bit more to give to the game and so if they don't want to go on and become professional rugby player uh professional coaches well our role is to support them to be the best possible coach they can be so if a coach uh, for example wants to get better at delivering feedback well what does that look like for them and so we'll go out of our way to try and find the best possible resources or create something for not just that coach but there's probably other coaches that want to get real good at it and so we just do what we can for the people that are that ask for it so that are some of the things and that example of like when we met um, Willie's on one of our pre-performance course Willie Brown the head coach of Burnside is on our pre-performance coaches course that we're running this year um, and that's when we've got 15 of our local coaches that we that we see to be coaches to, that have invested time in their development and so we want to start investing um, some time into them to grow them a little bit further and so I was just down there observing Willie and seeing what um, what he's been he's been learning from it from these sessions that we've been doing and then just seeing what they look like actually on the grass because it's all good catching up with him around a table or over a latte or something like that but actually watching him coach and, and applying it is, um, is the next thing and then we can give him feedback and stuff like that so cool. yeah Cool, yeah, I forgot to mention that you're the host of the Canterbury Rugby Coaches Corner <laughs> podcast, which, yeah, I love listening, and Wayne Smith, yeah, I was listening to that one earlier, so, um, yeah, it's class. And with the helping coaches, so say, like, a grassroots coach or someone who's, like you mentioned there, like, transitioning from a player to a coach and, you know, helping out their club, and what would be some common things that you've seen that they say need help with or, or you know something yeah there? I guess a lot of those coaches and um, just before we started recording I was talking about um, the way that I go out now to clubs and I start doing observations on coaches I'm observing from a different lens and so that and that's really important to understand is that uh, say a player is transitioning from playing into coaching They've still got this lens on around playing. So they're seeing the game as a player versus seeing the game as a coach. And so if you look at um, the different views and you think of um, kind of like a helicopter view or a satellite view and stuff like that, these are the different... For coaches, they're probably looking at it from a helicopter view, so a little bit high up. Or everybody's got drones footage now, right? So everybody can see what that looks like. So that's probably the coach's view for us, we're probably in the more satellite view. What are we seeing? What the coach is seeing, and getting that played out. And so, a lot of the players that are transitioning into that space, yeah, they're really they're still seeing it as like, oh, if I was playing, this is what I would do. Versus, um, yeah, probably putting that coach's lens on and starting asking, well, what's making them do that, or 
why is our Ted kicking the ball rather than running it when he's when we see that there's space to run it? Why is he kicking it and giving the ball away? We haven't discussed that. Um, so yeah, that's probably some of the things that I'm seeing out there at the moment with those those transition coaches. Um, one of the ones that are probably that I'm pretty and Willie's a good example, right? So he's an ex-player. Um, he's still got a foot in both camps, um, but I think he's definitely turned the page on becoming a becoming a coach versus being a player, because his delivery of messages is completely different to what you hear on the field. So, for example, like um, if you're a driving ten, what are some messages you would say to your guys around attack? And this is a question for you. What what would you say to? Yeah, I would say get here go out there, push up, get back, go, it'd be all very directional, you'd be telling everyone what to do, where you want them to go, yeah. where you want them to be, to set up the picture that you want to then execute. Yeah, and so for a coach, we can see that, right? Because we're, we're a little bit more removed, we don't really have the, the stress and the pressures that our athletes have, so we're probably going to pose questions like well where is the space oh the space is out wide well, what can we do to get this, get the ball there oh we could kick it we could run it whatever it whatever the answer is that the players come up with that's there where I think some of the some of those players that are transitioned into coaching they're probably being really directive going I want you to get the ball here by doing this and then all of a sudden they don't do it, and we have a look at it, and you just go, "Well, you got to ask that question: Why aren't they able to do it?" And maybe it's because they're seeing different pitches. And so, I think that there's the once they start asking those questions, that's when they really start seeing the game a little bit wider and a little bit more broader, and not so much in their like if they are 15, they're probably s- still set in their way of how I'm going to see the game as a 15 versus how I'm going to see the game as a as a coach. I'm a little bit more removed from the actual, I don't know, the emotion and the, the adrenaline and all that type of stuff. So, yeah, yeah, that's one thing that I see at the moment. Mm, yeah. That, yeah, that's really interesting one. It's, uh, yeah, it's taken a step back or taken 10 steps back. Uh, like, because when you're playing, like you said, you're, you're right immersed in it. And then when you start coaching, you think, you just think the same way and it's like you tell like Ricky get here like do that yeah. do this do that but like does Ricky learn anything by being told to go here do this do that somewhat but not really and yeah as a, you got to take those steps back so when you were talking there I was just thinking if you're a 15 and you're a new coach or a coach in general go try and look at the game through the prop size you know yeah. and then you'll get a very different perspective for sure take 10 steps back but also like Go look at it from a different angle. Yeah, well, um, there's this cool guy, guy called Joe Schmidt, um, that I've been talking to, um, and oh, not Joe, John Schmidt, sorry. Um, so he does a lot of work around decision making, and he's from the from the army. And this is probably one thing that um, this year, that well, actually the back end of last year, that just started like opening my eyes around decision making and and all that type of stuff and I was having a chat to him he created these things called uh, decision uh, tactical decision making games and essentially what they were in the army is that he'd 
create a scenario for the troops to go out um, and do, but it's all theoretical. So it's like, what would you do? This is, you are X person and you now have to go out and command a troop to go and take the hill, like capture the flag type thing. What are you going to do? And what, what that did is that put people in positions that they weren't used to being in. So I look at that, what you've just said there, is something really key is like, what is our, if, and if we look at a tap, for example, and we look at a pod set up and we've got a lock, a hooker, and a prop, and then we've got a 10 in behind, all those four players are all seeing, feeling the game completely different to one another. And then what you've just said there is putting the eyes on like the prop. So let's just say the prop is at the inside ball man. What is he actually, as a coach, you have to think, what is he actually, what do you want them to do? And what do you think they're actually feeling or thinking at that time? Because if they're a prop that aren't confident in their footwork, for example, so they, or they're not, they have, they just don't have their catch pass is just not the best and they're pretty much just they're really good at set piece they're really good at cleaning rucks so do you think he's probably going to be calling for an inside ball if he sees the space probably not because he's just like well mm. the ball's got i'm going to drop the ball mm. he might not drop the ball but he's probably thinking i'm going to tell this guy to carry it because i'm i know that i'm going to clean the ruck and we're going to get clean ball and he's going to because he's world class at cleaning the rucks and so that's a real interesting point that you make there because I think a lot of coaches kind of sometimes forget the person mm. and they just see the player and then they've got this mental model in their head of what the type of player they have but then they forget, well, actually, what is the person in front of you? What is the actual skill ability? And so if you see space that the tip's got, there's an inside tip ball and you see that your number one is your prop is that person there, you shouldn't have pretty have faith to go, well, I know that he's not going to call it because he's never called it once in his life. So you probably have to be really happy, or not happy, but content that what role he is going to do is he's going to tell them to carry, and if he carries, we're going to get a clean, so be happy with that. And then that's where, um, where as a coach, you kind of have to go in and go, pull them aside and have a chat to them and be like, what is one thing that you want to get better at this year? And what can I do to help? What can I do more of to make you the best possible version of you as you, the rugby player? And if he goes, I always see the space on this inside ball, but I just can't catch the ball under that much pressure. So it's your responsibility as a coach to help them get there, especially if they've come up and asked you for it as well. Because if you become almost negligent to it, then you can't have a crack at him or them about it. And I think that's that's where some players might get, and some coaches might get frustrated about that that pass when they transition. It's just like, why can't they just do extras? And like, maybe they're a little bit scared to do extras, and they want a little bit of support from the coach. Maybe um, I don't know, but you have to find out and ask this. And I think that's where, um, which I think is really cool out here 
um, Matt Todd came in last year as Canterbury coach and I he looked after breakdown and stuff like that and the way that and from what I observed outside is he was still mucking in as a player but he was also on the other side of the ball as a coach and I don't know I, I've had a little conversation with him about it but the way that he coaches is is really um, you think of great leaders right of giving back I've got all this he's got all this knowledge in his head he's been coached by some amazing coaches he's been world-class all-black crusader like the list goes on so the knowledge that he has in his head is just through the roof now how does he get that out to the players he gets that out of the players for what I is I'll show you what I do but then he's able to take you like you mentioned 10 steps back he's able to take three steps back and he's kind of he's almost like a player coach but no play and he's just he still has that that mana with and that sense of respect within the group to go Jesus is Matt Todd like he he was like the, a great rugby player well he still is a great rugby player and he still is an all black but he's a little bit removed he's not fully removed because he's still playing and he's still got but he knows his role really clear and defined that he's he's a coach first but that player instinct is still in him and I don't know when that goes and I think that's probably the big like it will eventually go and we and I'll go back to what I said is I was in I used to work in the club system coaching club rugby I've been in this role for a year now in my mind, my lens of the way that I view things, trainings have has completely shut. So what I shared with you is I'd go in last year and I'd be looking at skill set, I'd be looking at their attacking structure, I'd be looking at their principles of play, are they getting go forward? But the questions that I were ask that I was asking were shit. They were so terrible. Like they weren't reflective enough. There was really zeroed in on what I wasn't even probably asking what questions. I was probably asking like, "Why are you doing this?" Like, there were, it wasn't coach. Like, I wasn't coaching a coach. I was trying to give my unsolicited advice of the way that I thought it should be done. And I think that's what, if I go back to, on the other side of the coin, that's what those players are doing when they're coming. Is they're giving that advice of going, "If I was still playing this, what I'd do." Mm. I don't, yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. I know exactly what you mean. I heard one recently that was on the podcast. But uh, why <clears throat> questions? So when we start coaching first, we're told to ask questions, and then I learned that why questions can be quite um, what's the word? But kind of aggressive. Yeah. Like why are you doing that? And it's like whoa! You all of a sudden have to um, give reason. You know, you have to. I don't know what the, the exact words are, but it's kind of accusatory. Yeah. Whereas what is more exploratory, it's and it allows them to to express themselves. Whereas when you give a why question, it's kind of more they're trying to defend themselves. Yeah, and and we had that we've had that conversation a couple of times. I'm I'm not fully like me personally. I'm not fully sold on that the what versus why questions. I think what 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 questions do is like you said they become very descriptive like the answers that you get back become real descriptive so um 
an example would be um, think of your last game that you played what made it so memorable for me what made it very memorable now I'd stop I got a concussion I'd stop playing that was the last one but uh, no what made it memorable was towards the end of my career I very much enjoyed every game and enjoyed every moment and truly enjoyed the game because I, I had a lot of learnings over the previous two three years so what made it so enjoyable was that I was very present before the game I was very excited about the warm-up I was enjoying the warm-up I was I didn't put pressure on myself I didn't uh, put expectations on myself I allowed myself to play freely and so what made that so enjoyable all of those games were very enjoyable because I wasn't I was in my younger days I was very much I need to play well today so that I can get picked for this team in, in X months time or I need to win today to keep my role I, my jersey I need to so it was all very I was in that head space and yes you still enjoy it at times but at times you don't and so for me what made me enjoy my last game the question you ask is uh, just being so present and just no pressure no expectation no judging of myself and just being free yeah and then so that's a really cool example of like how far a what question can go but I think at times and I, I've learned this through like this guy called Bill Bestick he's an amazing guy ex-SAS he's currently an anaesthetist over in Sydney and he's a commercial helicopter pilot so like the dude is just like he oozes excellence like who dares wins is his life motto like he's just incredible he talks about um oh, I'm trying to think of it but like uh inquiry so like using words like I'm curious to know why you felt that way you're still going to be able to give me a descriptive answer and it's not going to feel like I'm judging you in any way or that like to get your backs up because I'm curious about it like or mm. you can be like I'm fascinated to know why you chose to run the ball versus kick the ball. Mm. So I'm I'm becoming really inquisitive. It's it's all, it's still a what question without saying what, but you're getting to the roots of why they've done something versus the other way around. And I think if and it's really important, right? That um, one of the biggest things that I've learned not only through the, doing the podcast, but just my roles is here within um, Canterbury Rugby as a as a game developer, but also as a development officer out in the community. Is trust is huge, and so as soon as you build up a level of trust, and you know, and I'm talking to a player or I'm talking to a coach, and they know that my objective is to ensure that they are the best possible version of them. Like I, I'd, I'd be very surprised if they felt cagey if I asked them a why question. If you know what I mean? Like, yeah. 100%. And while you were saying that, I was I was even thinking myself um, that with communication, it's like, you've probably heard this, but I think it's 7% is the words used or the text used, 40-odd percent is the tone of voice, and then 50-odd percent is your body language. And this is a big issue for when, you know, you get an email or you get a text and that's only seven percent of the yeah. of the the message like someone could say oh wow but oh wow could be you've you're watching a rugby match and something brilliant has happened oh wow could be you have just seen a car crash oh wow could be um 
you've just something else awful has happened or great has happened you don't know like and it's with the the question yeah like yeah. i was just thinking when i said well, that, there's that, that little the, skit right there's that little skit um out there i can't remember who the comedians are but there's these two american comedians and then like one person's asking them if they want to go out for a drink tonight and then the other person's reading it in a different like their monologue in their head is completely different and they're like does this guy want to fight me and it's just like should we go to the pub net or should we go now and it's like yeah i'm ready to go now and then it's like they're both just each other's monologues are completely different because like you said the language is completely lost within translation because there is that um yeah there isn't that context around how am i delivering it how what do i like what are my facial expressions and i think that's a really um key point in coaching as well is like that delivery of message is so important and i think these are just my personal feelings i think at times look there's there's definitely moments where a spray has to come right and in my previous life i was a chef and i think everybody understands what gordon everybody's seen seen gordon ramsay go off in house kitchen and stuff like that and that's 100 percent what a kitchen environment can be like like when I first started out I've had pots thrown at me I've had like chefs not tell me that a pan is hot because they wanted me to burn myself on purpose and like all these like horrible things that you think now like there are lawsuits coming after these people because it's like workhouse bullying like it's literally just assault but that was the environment within that I was working in but a lot of a lot of that anger was almost like masked the passion of what these chefs were doing because they, our whole mission as chefs and at some of the restaurants that I was cooking at was to ensure that our customers left having the best possible night of their lives. And I think that's the same ethos as coaching, right? Our whole objective as a coach is to make the our athletes that we're working with the best possible version of them and it might not be them the all black or them the international rugby player or professional rugby player it could be them the business person them the builder them the plumber whatever they like whatever their motivations are or whatever their best versions of them are that's our role as a coach to help them and what we do it through, our vehicles, rugby, right? And so what we teach them, they can learn teamwork, hard work, dedication, respect, responsibilities, like all these characteristics that everybody says that they can do, or can they actually? That's our jobs as a coach. And along the way, we'll teach them how to run catch pass, we'll teach them how to be physical, we'll teach them how to tackle effectively, We'll teach them systems and attacks and how to break things down. Teach them to become effective decision makers under pressure, under fatigue. We'll teach them maybe a little bit around um, how to eat properly, how to train well. Now we're getting into in the, this work that you're doing around like mental skills and how our mind works. All of a sudden, coaching has just gone beyond X's and O's. And it's a way bigger holistic approach around like who is the person standing in front of me and where do they want to go? I'm the, and I'm the 
driver of that or I'm the not necessarily that they should be the driver of it I'm the facilitator of that I'm the one that's helping them along their journey and I think that I think sometimes that gets lost amongst the X's and O's and the win and loss cat, like categories and so yeah I, I don't know that was a huge difference no. we went through a couple Hundred. of different rabbit warrens yeah, there yeah. well that's what like I said to you before we started here that's that's what the that's the way this podcast is anyway it's uh, I don't yeah we just have a chat but yeah. um no there's a few points there and a hundred percent it's uh coaching is you want to help that person grow as a person which by proxy they'll grow as a player and it's something I still want to win as a coach because I want my players to win because I know that you enjoy winning so much and we as a player it's all about winning as a coach you know I, I'm I, as a player if we lost I'd be gutted I'd be have a bad evening and if we won I'd have a good evening to be honest and as I got older I was able to compartmentalize a bit more you know not let it drag on to the week or other parts of my life but as a coach I'm able to you know very much park things but you still want to win don't get me wrong but you don't it's you don't have to or need to completely focus on winning the game like you say because when you're completely focused on that the x and o's you lose sight of a lot of things and that's something how I kind of got into this a bit as well is I realized like if a coach, if I wasn't as a player in the best headspace or if I didn't feel comfortable in the environment or I was nervous or, you know, just not in a good headspace, it didn't really matter who I was as a player because I wasn't going to play well. Yeah. So you can tell me about footwork and line out, but it's not even going to go into my ears. You can tell me about line out moves, but I'm not even going to hear them. And you can tell me whatever you want to tell me. But at the end of the day, I'm just going to go out and play rugby. So... As a coach, I find that for sure, if you have a player for a season, you can definitely help them with technical stuff along the way. But for you bombarding them with technical stuff every Tuesday, every Thursday, at the end of the day, they're not going to hear it all. And you just want them to be in their best selves to go out and just play rugby on a Saturday. That's when you'll get the best out of them. And that's when you'll probably win. That's interesting, right? So think of... Like just recently, I watched watched the game, and I actually I'll go back a couple of steps, and I'm I'm searching for um, the exact location here. But it was a game, and then Hooker throws a line out, and he's hit every single one in the first half, apart from the last one before half time, and then they go into the sheds. And what do you think the conversation is? Yeah, the missed one. But they forget that they've hit the six prior to that one, right? And so they, it's we're super focused on what has just happened versus what has, like, what's come before that. And I think at times, and this is one thing that's kind of piqued my curiosity at the moment, is that that strengths part is really key, understanding and knowing your strengths. And it was only recently I did a um, disc profile with a with a lady over in she's doing her PhD over in Oz called Liz Mason, and she's doing this work, this piece of research around disc profiling and how it helps playmakers and all this type of stuff and coaches and it's pretty fascinating stuff. But essentially, what I found out 
was that my part of my disc profiling is I'm high in influence. Um, and what the big aha moment for me there was is that I was constantly trying to be not something that I'm not, but trying to be a little bit of somebody else and not 100% me. And I think like what you just said there is super fascinating around like, you can tell me all the technical stuff you, that you want to tell me, but I know myself like that I can't do that. So whatever you say to me, if you don't connect with me as an individual, your technical knowledge, I don't care how vast it is, is going in one ear and out the other because I don't trust you. But the reason why I talk about that strengths part is that I think we go back to that that prop that's on that ends. How do we build up that trust? How do we actually embrace those strengths? And if you can't embrace, and this is just me riffing and I don't know if this is any research at all, but if you don't have confidence in your own strengths and abilities, it's probably really easy to have a crack at somebody else's weaknesses and be like, hey, look, we need to make you stronger because all of a sudden you're going, well, I need to try and pump my tires up a little bit. And I, and I go back to that part of I was trying to be a little bit of someone. Here at Rugby Park, and I mentioned Fruby and Brownie and Goldie and stuff like that that have come before, being here at Rugby Park is a real daunting task. Like you, like in probably about, uh, what's the time now? In about 20 minutes, the Crusaders are going to be running out onto the park and you're going to see next year's All Blacks coach. You're going to see some incredible coaches and some All Blacks performing at their very best. You're constantly surrounded by these people and the people before them are legacy leavers. Like, they are giants. And we, and I don't know if we talk about it. I'm, I'm wondering if it's just me that talks about it because I say it enough. When you come in here, you're essentially a man standing on, or whoever you are, standing on top of shoulders of giants. So if you think of... So Fruby and Brownie and his crew, what they did was awesome. Jonesy, Wayne Masters... And then and Kahu was in there as well. In comes Jimmy Sinclair. And then in, come, in, in comes Blair Baxter. Like these guys, these, those men are just the most amazing men in regards to what they did to establish these roles. And before them, there was probably other guys as well. And so to uphold that, you kind of... Me personally, there was a little bit of that imposter syndrome, right? That everybody, I worked alongside um, Blair um, in the metro region and people, clubs constantly. Can we get Blair to come out? Can Blair come and do this? We want Blair to be at this session. Hey, Blair, can you come and watch our trainings? Well, why is nobody asking for Ricky? Well, and so there was a little bit of pride and a little bit of ego, but he was the person for six years he then he's now gone on to some wicked stuff so he's now coaching the Chinese women's sevens team and in the hopes to try and get them and qualify for the Olympics but now it's me and that there like is 
such a daunting task to go, how do I carry on the awesome work that BB has set up, that he's done? He's an FPC coach, won it multiple times. He was the first head coach for Matatu. Second year takes him to winning the competition. Like, the, he's coached under-19s, can every bees. Everything he's touched has turned to gold, right? And so I'm probably looking at him as as a mentor. I'm looking to him as the gold standard. And then I'm like, well, I've got to be a little bit of BB to do that. What? And what I see BB's, um, one of his superpowers is, he's just so genuine of him. And he's so great at just being really unapologetic about who he is like he's he's okay with people not liking him but he will do anything and everything for anybody for the right reasons you know what I mean so like even if like he'll just do things off the back he's the biggest advocator for for rugby in general all that type of stuff. And so you kind of go, well, I'm going to model myself off BB. But what I slowly, what I've found after doing that disc profiling is like, well, I can't do that. Right? And and you probably look at the players like, oh, I'm going to be the next Richie Maunga if I'm number 10. Well, actually, how about being the best version of you? Like, take little bits and pieces of what you like about, but what makes you great is, is you. Like, Richie Moses, is, he's his own person, right? And like this, and I think that as coaches is really reflective in a sense that if they come in and watch training and they watch Razor and Scotty and Jimmy Marr and and those guys coach, or they come in and watch Canterbury and they watch Robbo and Dunners and Marty coach, well, they're just going to try and copy what they do, but they don't actually, they haven't seen seen what they actually do, and I just think that's you're leaving so much like money on the table of your own net worth of like how much you're worth and I think the the coaches that really get to that next level are ones that are so super comfortable within who they are and they've also got that little bit of a curious mindset around and around developing and growing their strengths and sure you got to you got to build on your weaknesses but what got you in the room in the first place was your strengths not your weaknesses so why do you why are you and I go back to that prop, like, why are you focusing on their weaknesses? Grow their strengths and then, like, keep developing their strengths and then slowly grow that, that other side of them. Yeah. Yeah. No, 100%. <clears throat> and another one was so interesting there, yeah, what you're saying, and it happens with players as well. And I think nearly every player does this at times. You get picked for a team and you feel you need to be the person who you're replacing. And like say like you mentioned there with your role and we all go through it but you are selected for you who you are now like you're selected on what you've done over the last year two years as a player as a coach whatever role it is and they're expecting you to be the best version of you yeah Yeah. and for sure you want to keep growing and that's another thing the imposter syndrome i find interesting in that when you're out of your comfort zone it's uncomfortable but you only grow when you're out of your comfort zone so yes it's uncomfortable you know like say 
for instance the way you say here like stepping into this environment it's like yeah of course it's uncomfortable like i haven't felt like when i was coming in this morning it's like oh wow you know or whatever but it's you have to keep remembering i think that like who you are and like you're all good and none of us are perfect none of us are the finished article none of us ever will be but like like you mentioned there about just being comfortable with who you are and then it's just like yeah just uh like it was so about uh maybe 10 close to 10 years ago i interned here when the academy was the canary academy and now it's now turned into the Crusaders Academy and I was working underneath Aaron Webb, the Academy manager here, um, and doing some like PDM stuff with the players around, um, just running little seminars around, um, like how to analyze game and your skill sets, um, some mental skill stuff, a little bit of, um, whole water or well, personal wellbeing bits and pieces and public speaking. My first session, I go downstairs into what used to be the strat room um, that the Crusaders use. And I think everybody knows the Crusaders' legacy, right? And they know that the, the coaches that they've produced, uh, you know, the Robbie Deans, the Wayne Smiths, Steve Hansons, like the list literally can go as long as your arm. And then the players on top of that, so the players that they've, the All Blacks that they've produced, the greats, Dan Carter, Richie McCaw, like Sam Whitelock, Scooter Barrett, like they're just, the list is endless. And so the Crusaders Academy is regarded as one of the top rugby academies in the world, globally. And so I get an internship to work in this academy, to go out and deliver sessions to this next generation of the best and brightest. Room fills up, there's about 30 odd players that turn up to my boring death by bloody PowerPoint presentation because I'm thinking I'm going to attack it the way that I went to university to do my coach's degree and so I'll just do a whole bunch of slides and riff off the slides and start talking. First slide, stand up, I hit present, stand up, ask Webby to open up the door because it's this tiny little box that's probably like eight metres by seven metres. It's got one little window that's like can only crack like five centimetres. Boys are just coming out of the gym for a gym session, so there's smells and heat and everything just coming off it, and they're all feeding their faces off sushi. Ask we were to crack the door, within about 40 seconds, I'm lying face down, I've passed out. Wow. I get rolled over and picked up and given my water bottle, take a moment and present the rest of the session. But I was so nervous going into that session because I didn't have faith in myself or I didn't believe in myself. And I was just like, I saw underneath, there's a, so if everybody can, that's listening can think of your standard room that has a projector screen on top. Underneath it has all the values of what it is to be a crusader. And then underneath it is like this, um, like the at, if everybody's seen like the Atlas person like holding the weight of the world. And I'm like looking at this. And mind you, I used to be an avid blues supporter as well. So I'm not only do I not believe in myself and I'm about to present to the next kind of best and brightest rugby players to come through the academy, 
I'm also in the lion's den of a team or franchise that like I didn't support. I do now, but at that time I'm like, shit, I am in the lion's den here and I'm about to present and I didn't have any faith in me. Webby obviously had faith in me because he gave me the internship and he was like, oh yeah, sweet, I like what you're doing and all this type of stuff. And yeah, lights out. And that was that imposter syndrome of just thinking of like, holy shit, do I actually know enough to be teaching these guys how to self-analyze their skill set and their game and all this type of stuff. And I'd done my research, I'd done this like epic presentation, I'd created like this little easy way to remember how to like analyze your film, but I didn't, I believed all of that that I did but not myself to present it to these people. Because what if they were just like, this guy's all shit. And I, and I mentioned that story because I, since then, I used to always, every time I stepped up in front of somebody, I'd always think that. It's like, I'd be looking out at the crowd that I'm delivering to and I'd just be like, this guy is all shit. And maybe they do think that. But I'm now in a place where I, I just don't care well not that I don't care because I want to please everybody but Mm. it's that thing of going I believe in myself that what I'm teaching these people or what what I'm hopefully they're going to learn is the right stuff and if it's not then hey come and question me and challenge me and that's not going to knock my ego if anything that's going to challenge me to be better and going shit did I miss something and maybe I did miss something and then I'll go out. I've got a pretty curious mindset to go out and go research and then go back to them and be like, hey, look, you're right. I have no ego to tell people whether I'm wrong or right on, on things. So, But, yeah, I just thought that that was that imposter thing, that, that there's huge for, for players and for coaches, right? Like, Okay, we're live again. Sorry, technical difficulty there. Um, for anyone listening, yeah, I, we're chatting here and I just saw the recording stop and then I was like, yo, got to stop, got to get this sorted. So, um, <laughs> hey, thanks for sharing that. And that's, uh, yeah, that's interesting. And um, it's def, yeah, the, what you said, I love what you said about not caring what other people think. And that's huge, man, for your, like I've found as well myself, like I've gone through that kind of journey as well. And, and I think it's a journey and I don't think you ever, well, I don't know, do you ever completely 100% get away from it? But, you know, in school, I started thinking about it. I was like, I remember people would slag me being like, slag the way I played or just slag me. And I kind of think, I don't give a fuck what you think about me. But then, and that started it. Yeah. And then through my 20s, you kind of keep like, I don't care what you think. I don't care what you think. I'm going to do what I want to do. And you keep going and going and going. I think it's such an important part of it, isn't it? Like, um, well, I think is, is it like just hearing you now, like my mind's going like, is it just like the rooms that you're in? Like maybe one room you super, you feel super comfortable in, right? Like a room around your mates, you don't, you really don't care what your mates have to say. Um, or maybe you do care, but you know it's a safe environment. But then if you go into a different room, surrounded by a bunch of people that don't know who you are and they don't know your credentials or whatever it is, that there's probably going to be super intimidating on top of that. And I think that's the room that we never think starts going, 
where your own personal belief has to really kick in to overdrive and just go, look, whatever I'm going to do tonight, I'm just going to do the best version of what I'm going to do. And so if coaches are going to go out and they've got a brand new team and maybe they've only got one or two allies within that room that they know personally because they've coached them before and the rest of them aren't, well, that's probably a really big room of going, man, who is this coach? Like, I don't know this coach. And so that that ambiguity around building up that trust with those players is, like, massive. And, like, I'd, I'd like to hear your experience. I know this is a – hopefully this to and fro is all right, but I'd like to hear your experience, like, your when you did that international age grade stuff of what it was like coming into that environment because I think that there's a huge room, right? Yeah, it was challenging. And that's when I – I've mentioned this before, like, I capitulated in that – when I was seven or eight, I wanted to play for Ireland. At under 18, I was very specific because I was the first age I could. And then when I got there, I was in like the first camp, second camp, all went well. Third camp, they told us the team's playing Italy in two weeks. And I was just like, oh, and this is the last selection, 30 to 22. And I'm like, oh, and I just froze. But it's challenging, yeah. And back then, there was nothing done to help you feel comfortable. And I suppose the guys who felt comfortable or were confident within themselves were the ones who flourished and they got picked. And yeah. then the coach was probably like, we've got great players anyway. And, you know, it's it's interesting. That's something that then, as coaches, we need to do to make sure that everyone is comfortable so that everyone can flourish. I'm not saying I was better than some of those players there, but there was me and I'm sure plenty others along the selection process that couldn't show what they were about because they just froze. And then some players can get cut and they, they go away forever. So you could potentially be losing a lot of talent yeah. in that. And um, yeah, that's, that's something that I think we have to be aware of as well and make it a comfort environment as a coach, be it in your club, because same could happen in a club. You know, someone gets brought up to Div 1, the first team, they're like, I'm not good enough, I shouldn't be here, they all think I'm shit, I'm, you know, and then all of a sudden that player will play crap, they'll get cut away, and they get put back to Div 2, and then you just continue on, but if you create that environment that where players can feel comfortable and where they can fail, and then that Div 2 player that goes up, could be the best version of themselves and they're not going to be a superstar in Div 1 but they do a brilliant job for you and all of a sudden you've got an extra player and then yeah. that, if that happens five times over you've got a far better squad than if players stepping in are in their heads about I'm not good enough and you've only 10 confident players so just yeah creating that environment is once again like kind of what we are chatting about early doors with not getting hung up on X's and O's and just having that environment where players and failure is the biggest thing. I sorry, one of the biggest things that being comfortable to fail. And so, like, if someone steps up, that it's not the first mistake you see them make. Hey, get your hands up, Ricky. Oh shit! I knew he. I knew I'm not good enough. You know, <laughs> yeah, or like, yeah, yeah. And so when I was in that Irish camp, that first one, that 18s, it was a. Uh, you know, you're just thinking, don't do anything wrong. Don't do anything wrong. But when you're from that, you're kind of playing defense. You're you're never going to be did the good. did the coaches know who like had they coached you before or did they know who you were yeah because yeah. i think that's a big part right like yeah but it was and i was playing with leinster at the time who were the best province yeah at 18s and we won the interpros and i suppose it's personal but i got my first concussion during those interpros so i was starting number eight jack conan was in the second row and then i got a concussion the last pre the last warm-up game so then i came back on the bench 
And so I was probably a bit like, oh, I was on the bench. Like, I didn't even start. Like, I should be a superstar, and I didn't start. But the, And I'm in the Ireland squad now, and but I didn't start. And so there's probably a bit of that. Yeah. But, um, yeah, like, from someone looking in, if you're from one of the other provinces, Munster, Ulster, Connacht, you would have looked and gone, geez, that guy was playing with Leinster. He should be, he should think he's the man. Yeah. You know, whereas I, I certainly didn't. Well, uh, and, and it probably t- takes me in... You're around Willie and you see Willie a lot, right? And I think what Willie's real good and what all the great coaches are really good at is connecting with that person first. To Like, if a player's coming, being brought into your group, and this is something that we did in Canterbury Bees last year, is that um, we got all our players, we had a foundation day, and we got all our players to circle up. And what we wanted to try and do is we wanted to try and make these players feel like that they belong here but also feel like that it was worthwhile them being here to for whatever reason that they're involved in this group whatever their aspirations are it was our our role and our job as as coaches to help them along their journey right and so what we did we circled them up and we got a canterbury rugby jersey now some of these players there was a whole mix of, of players within this team. So we've got guys that have been there and thought they're like their representative time and finish. We'd had first timers, we'd got guys that have been in the mix for a number of years and they're pushing for like their first cap to play for Canterbury um, for the A's. We've got guys that aren't from the region We've got guys that, like, they grew up and they just froth over Canterbury Rugby and they know every stat there is and every player that's been before them and they know the people that have worn the jersey so they understand that legacy. So we got this Canterbury Rugby jersey and we just got them to um, pass around the circle and while they're passing around the circle, we asked them to do a couple of things. We wanted them to really feel the jersey, hold it in their hands, look at the emblem on it because that badge represents like it's not just a badge like it is it represents Canterbury and what it is have them look at that have them feel the stitching feel the material to like play with the collars and to scrunch it up in their hands and to feel the weight of it and stuff like that because we wanted them to experience that moment but then we asked them to share something around like what does it mean to that person holding that jersey at that moment to put on or to have the opportunity to put on this Canterbury Rugby jersey. And again, we're only the B team. We're not the, we're not the A's. And some of the stories were um, one player who was just like, oh, the last time I played Canterbury Bees was, well, the last time that I played for Canterbury, I was like under 13. So I never thought that I'd ever reach this heights of playing Canterbury Rugby. Another person was like, it's been a couple of years, I've been away from the country, I've ended up playing for a different provincial union, but to come back home and to put the Canterbury Rugby jersey on means so much to me because I'm representing my family and what that means, and also my club. Some people are from Auckland and they, they talked around how their team is Auckland, but they saw an opportunity to come down and play at one of the biggest provincial unions, or one of the greatest provincial unions, and they saw that opportunity to really help them to get to where they need to go. There was another player there that wanted, I'm here because I want to become a professional rugby player and I'm going to do everything I can in this jersey so that I can get my cap. And so 
what and and the coaches shared theirs their reasons and all that type of stuff what's what was really important about that that moment is that it didn't everybody felt fully connected because they shared as coaches we understood every single person in that circle of why they were there so essentially their why and so our mission was what can we do to start pulling this group together and we talk about it and um and you went to the that multi the ty mm-hmm. pono multi and you probably would experience something very similar when they're passing around the ponami right so what's happened and that's kind of where i borrowed the idea from is that now they've imparted their own wide or the, their own story into the jersey and so when they go out to play in the canterbury red and black jersey they're not playing just for their own story anymore they're playing for everybody else's story so everybody that is in that team now is fully cohesive around like you can't let your own wide or get in the way of somebody else's or you know and we're all on it together and so that was a cool way to start connecting bringing those guys there now throughout the season that was our foundation day throughout the season we had to start pulling in players because of injuries and so pulled in a guy um he was uh from new brighton rugby club and he got the call up and i was having a chat with him on the way and i was like oh Mate, it's awesome to have you into the camp. I'm glad to have you here. Really looking forward to hear about your um, your story tonight. And I just want you to know, this like you are 100% where you need to be right now in this moment. And so when he got given the jersey and he stood up in front of the group, and it was just him that night that got brought in, he talked, and you could see the emotion in his eyes around actually what did it mean to him to actually represent Canterbury Rugby because he just thought his, I have no rep career, I'm just going to be a club footy player, I'm going to rack up 100, 150 cats with the club and I'm happy with that. This here was like, he's diamonds now. He is living life. I go back, watch pre-season, he's grown an arm and a leg because of that confidence of what he... But as a coaching group, we really made a conscious effort to make sure that everybody belonged and understood that they belonged in this group no matter how they how they perceive themselves because i think that's that's super important and willie is one of those guys that i think oozes that type of stuff like if he has to bring in a colts player up into his div one team i'm sure he's going to make that colts player feel like a million bucks when he takes that field and he's going to give that player if he doesn't have belief in himself he's going to know that my coach has got my back and if my coach has got my back then my team's got my back and they're just going to help everybody get out of trouble like if he gets in trouble the whole team is going to get in behind him and help him get out of trouble and I think that's what you're saying I would have loved to have heard you say oh we talked about where we came from and why we're here and and that type of stuff and I think that part of somebody's story a player's story is really important to hear for coaches a hundred percent that's class and what it um a lot of it is as well is um like you were talking about there about like what it meant to be there for rugby but it was you're you're learning about the person you know yeah. and that's it and, and it's what we're, we're chatting about is 
it's about really connecting with that person and understanding that person and when you get understood as a person and you feel the coach wants to know you as a person then you feel more comfortable within the environment whereas when I was saying yeah when I went into that that particular environment I was like I am a player I need to be x on the field and if i am x on the field i will get to be selected in the 22 and of course don't not we're, neither of us are saying you don't need to do x y z on the field that's what you got to do yeah but yeah you you have to feel like the coach knows you cares about you and all that stuff and um yeah the another part was when you were saying there what i found was interesting was people being vulnerable in that they were telling exactly why it was like they were like someone to say they're from Auckland and I want, I'm using this to get a shot or you know that they weren't all going oh I'm play. I, this just means so much because I love Canterbury and I want Canterbury to win and, and they weren't trying to say the right thing you know they were being honest yeah. about what it was for them so that when you were saying that I was like oh there's that environment is a good environment because people are being honest and they're being open and somewhat vulnerable because they're not some of the things you're saying there's not the technically right thing that yeah. you would think one should say when they're representing Canterbury yeah and I think it's really key like that, that wasn't the first time that that we've done exercise like that like I said like I've, I've borrowed it from my time doing some some New Zealand Maori rugby camps and stuff like that but you have to have a real good level of understanding of like like people are there for different reasons and I think maybe it's that my time that like I used to work for Sumner Rugby Club and I used to work for Sydney Rugby Club that club dynamics and it's not like it's all over the world right the game of rugby or just amateur sport in general people are there for different reasons some people want to kick on to the next level some people are just there because they just want to get away from their their family some people are there because they just enjoy the beers with the boys like whatever the reason is it's not wrong it's just their own personal reason and so we weren't blind to the fact that there are people in our group that they want this to be their job and they don't care how they're going to get there and they're going to be real unapologetic about it and I think that's okay but we know who those people are but those people also have to be really aware that there's other people for different reasons, right? Because you can get, the blinkers can come up, you can be laser focus and tunnel vision on where you need to get to. Where some people are just like, I'm just happy to be, be in the team. I don't even care if I get on the bench. I just want the kit. <laughs> like, I've, if I get a pair of shorts, a singy, a hoodie, a polo, and I can walk away with a couple of lazy pairs of socks, like, I'm happy days, right? And I think that's really important. We did it with Sydney Rugby Club just before I left there. And that was such a visceral moment for us as a as a club and as a coaching group as well because we all started like we started off and the boys were being a little bit um it probably also helped that maybe the, the night before the boys were a little bit dusty as well so there was but emotions were really high like we started talking about it and you could just see like the jerseys don't weigh a thing right but you could just see the weight of the jersey of like what it actually means to them what the jersey means to them is so huge like some boys are like I'm here because my mates brought me along and I want to play with my mates because I haven't played with them for however many years I'm here because this was a club that I grew up playing for and I wanted to represent them but there was like there were grown men crying around actually what the club did like tears and it was just 
like I can still see where everybody is around the circle and I can I could if they were all there I could almost pretty much tell you exactly what average person said because it was just such a real honest authentic moment and then when we split to go elsewhere when we came back that next Tuesday it was like we hadn't seen each other for like years and it we left on Sunday we only had Monday and then we came back to training on Tuesday it had only been like a day we hadn't seen each other but it felt like years because we'd shared such a moment with each other that these boys were so connected it was like unreal and I think those conversations are the real important conversations and you really have to as a coach allow the reasons to be whatever the reasons so maybe you could preface and be like look some of you guys are going to be here because you want to be professional pro players some of you here because you just want to make up the numbers whatever it is we're open to everybody so be really honest and we we also led it ourselves around like our head coach Scott Paulson for the bees he talked around what it meant to him and he I don't want to share his story I'll save it for his, his own time but he shared what it meant to him what it meant to represent the Canterbury rugby to be given the opportunity to head up the team and I think that is like if your leader your head coach is leading the way it's hard to follow like not to follow suit right yeah 100% well that's um that's you know the word <clears throat> vulnerability is 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 said talked about quite a lot now and and for I think important reasons and for people to I heard someone talk mention the word recently and I don't think they got it uh they were kind of they were doing a presentation and they're saying oh I'm being vulnerable it's like no you're not you're just you're you're uncomfortable you're you're doing something that's uncomfortable you're just delivering a presentation that you're not comfortable delivering with you're not being vulnerable you're just you're um being challenged yeah you know so being vulnerable is um saying things that are difficult like you mentioned or you did earlier when you mentioned that story like that's you know and um and i think when leaders do that like they they take themselves off a pedestal so like say when you talk about challenging times that you've had as a coach or in your life or whatever when they see the leader do it they're like oh wow well he's gone through that and then oh well then you know he's done that and then well maybe I will share that I xyz happened to me five years ago or I will share truly why I want to be in this team versus given the the answer I was going to give yeah you know so it's just because leaders do like no, no matter where it is or who you are you're on a pedestal you know or the people see you on a pedestal if you're a boss and work if you're a coach in a team that's just the way it is and and you kind of are but yeah when you share then others feel comfortable and like you say that just brings everyone together yeah and that's what's important that's well, that's crucial yeah well i was talking to a, uh, a friend of mine at a, at a wedding recently around like when you talked about being a leader and i'm probably seeing coaching a little bit different now i don't i my mind works differently in the way that i think is super different but essentially i see the coach as being that they're part of the team they're not they're not above the team and so as much as we have a fly half in, in the game of rugby, we have a coach as well. So they're just a team member. But their leadership, and I think, and I was talking to him around being a leader, I was like, well, what's your, he asked me what, what are my plans and aspirations moving forward in my, in my role, and I just said to him, well, 
look, ideally, you know, and I want to be a professional rugby coach. Like, I didn't have the dream, like, I still had the dream of becoming a professional rugby player. I had an accident with fireworks and lost my eye, or the sight out of my eye, the eye's still in there. But I gave up on that, kind of that dream of becoming a professional rugby player. I was like, well, that's a little bit too far. So I followed my dream of becoming a chef. Did that. Now, something happened. I lost the passion for cooking and all that type of stuff. Decided to get back into sport and follow and pursue that. Became enrolled into University of Canterbury. Did the sports coaching degree. I want to become a professional coach. I want to get paid to kick the footy ball around. Not the way as a player does, but somewhere pretty close. And eventually one day I'd, I'd love to coach. It'd be cool to coach All Blacks. To represent your country on the world stage at something is would just be amazing. And so that's what drives me to do what I do. But talking to him, I was like, well, what's, what's yours? And he's like, oh... I'm looking at becoming a manager. And I challenged him on, on that word manager. I was like, do you want to be a manager or do you want to be a leader? I was like, do you want to be seen as somebody that's just helping, giving people tasks to do, making sure that they stick to deadlines and making sure the work, quality of work's good? Or do you actually want to lead a team to do something remarkable, to do like push new grounds, to push boundaries, to do things outside of the box, and to challenge the way that in your industry how that is done and he took him back a wee bit because he was just like mate we're a couple of long whites in here and we've had a few espresso martinis like <laughs> this is a little bit too deep and I was like well it's not too deep like because sometimes a manager can be like just constantly on your balls all the time and just like just breaking your back and you're just like mate what is going on like we're doing the best but the best isn't good enough where a leader is like more less stick more carrot right mm. so it's just like well and I love the phrase like what can I do more of to help you be at your best and I think that's a true leader and that's a true coach it's like when when have you as coaches ask your players for feedback of what more can we do as coaches to help you guys out and take the ownership of if six if you're not winning or trainings are looking dire taking the responsibility on and looking self-reflective and being like shit maybe it's us maybe it's not the players boys what is it something that we're doing and they might be like yeah your training suck what sucks about them we just do these drills we have this attack shape that looks tits. We think that this is going to help it out better because these are the pictures that we're seeing. All of a sudden, your eyes are just going, whoa, you could have struggled through the season, started losing your rag, all of a sudden you've fallen out of love with coaching and then you've given up on the game. We've lost another coach. But actually asking for some feedback from your players around, shit boys, what can we do more of? And they might be like, they could on the flip side go, it's not you guys, it's actually us and we need someone to help facilitate a conversation because there's a couple of us that aren't living up to our standards here. And I think that there is huge as well, right? Because then all of a sudden that ownership on the whole team 
has now just become way more global in a sense of like it's not just the coach trying to facilitate something it's the team going no no we know that this is shit and we are the problem or no you're the problem and then you have to take that on the chin and just go have that like kind of open mindset around things and go all right well what can we do to change this up what can make you guys excel and i think that's probably one big tip there like for coaches listening in it's like ask for feedback from your players 100 percent. oh feedback is it's incredible yeah it's it's so good because you can be in anything because you can be doing something one way and you think you have it right but you get a bit of feedback and it's like oh wow like you know it's incredible and it's something we should all be trying to get regularly in anything we do well i read um uh what's his name michael side's book rebel rebel ideas yeah and it's around diverse cultures and diverse thinking and i think that's the big part around that feedback is you're getting different people's perspectives from Mm. different minds right and so one of the big stories in in his book um was around these tour guides that were taking this group up mount everest and in that group was just there was a pilot, um, an experienced mountaineer, um, someone, uh, I can't remember. There was like f- four people that were in there, plus there was like two two other climbers helping them up the hill. What happened, it was a tragic event and there was a movie made about it, but what happened is that the, there was a lot of events that took place, but what didn't happen is that the leader was leading these people pretty much to their doom because he was so switched off from taking any feedback from the rest of the group that eventually, I'm pretty sure most of them died, but there was a pilot in there that understood cloud formations and what the clouds clouds meant. And then there was somebody else that understood that, I think they were a doctor, so they understood what would happen if we didn't get back to base by this period of time and then there was another experienced mountain climber who said hey look if we keep going down this route we're all going to die but nobody spoke up because the leader of the group took all authority away and just said if you don't listen to me we're all going to die and I think as a coach a lot of them would be like if you don't listen to what I'm saying we're going to lose this game and then you lose the game and they're like well we listened to you but we still lost the game or the, yeah obviously you didn't listen hard enough and that there is just like if you got diverse thinking or thinking around like some of your boys have got um, I saw Zach down there a couple of weeks ago like how incredible to see a crusader come down give up his time because he's just been out on the training field training he still comes down has the energy to give back like Willie's tapping into him to help with some of the line out lifts and helping those guys you've got Ryan Coxons who's got how much experience he's got super rugby experience he's played NPC like his on-field leadership is will, would be unreal especially when it comes to scrum time knowing shit we've got them here at scrum time let's go you've got Sean Forster who's been around for a, a million games now and he's probably going to try and outdo his old man like the dude knows that if we need to win a line out chuck me up at two and we're, I'm going to beat them up in the air like he's got that experience and Willie will be really good at tapping into those players but I think there's some coaches that are just like if I don't tap into those players like my ego is going to get affected mm. if I if I let the players look like they're controlling it, <clears throat> mate. The players are already controlling it. As soon as like they 
go over the chalk, nothing you can do is going to be able to get changed. It doesn't matter if you make the subs or try and change game tacks. The, the players out there are already going to decide how the game is going to be, be um, played. Yeah, absolutely. I think the ego is just such a big thing. It's just such a part of it. Like when you're coaching, yeah, to like getting the ideas, like I say as well, like there's 30 different people, they're seeing it different ways and, and experiences from even outside. Of, like you mentioned a few ones there inside of rugby, which of course are unreal, but even outside around yeah. like, I don't know, like time management during the warm up or I don't know, the way you'd structure a day or the way like everyone has ideas. And yeah, when you have that environment where people can bring forward their ideas you get the best versus your way or yeah. two or three ways of seeing it we start like um like pilots are saying around cognitively unloading things so if you start unloading stuff cognitively like you've got a defense coach you've got a tech coach if i'm a coach and i know that i have trust in my tech coach to i don't really have to think about mm. is that happening my role now is just to be like well let's just check to see if who needs help and then I just come in underneath that and I think there's there's also a missed opportunity around there is that sometimes coaches they'll be running their sessions and they'll ring fence it off and it's almost like no other coach can go into that session and give feedback or to to help mm-hmm. and again like we said we're seeing things from different different viewpoints so if um if somebody's running in the attack and they're standing by where the nine's passing the ball they're only going to see the attack from where the nine's passing the ball but if i'm the head coach and i'm standing in front of the pod and i can tell that my 10 is is not sliding off on on the pass soon enough to get get the release ball well well i'm actually doing damage not calling that out because you can't see that from from that vantage point you're just seeing like a, a high pass or a late pass or, or whatever it is. But I'm going, mate, your alignment's off. You need to be like two steps to your left. Me not saying that is doing like a, I'm not doing best by the A disservice. Yeah, yeah. And I think that there is like, it's not until like working with BB and, um, and his FPC team, Tony Christie and... Um, and those guys, is that, that's what they do. They just go around and they're in everybody's drills and they're helping. And you see it out here, like Razor will, he'll be, he's almost like Geppetto, right? He's pulling the strings and stuff like that. He's, but he's more so got his finger on everything and he's able to see things and he'll jump in if he needs to jump in. But I was watching a session, Jimmy Ma was running a run catch pass thing and Scotty Hanson he was doing the. He was talking to um, a couple of the players just around, just like their hip alignment on defense. And then he pulls up a couple of the boys because they're just like, "Where was that pass?" And he's just like, "Oh, out front in my hands." And he's like, "Did you give that feedback?" "Oh, good pass." And he's like, "What was good about it?" Like hmm. those. And but it didn't stop Jimmy from. Didn't take away Jimmy from Jimmy from Jimmy's session. He just did it in subtle ways to give that feedback. And you're just like, that's that's performance coaching and it can be done at an amateur level yeah 100 percent. 
I love it. Well, hey, Ricky, I could keep you forever. Yeah, yeah. chat all day. But uh, thanks for jumping on. Really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, it's been great chat. No, it was cool chatting with you. And yeah, loving these podcasts. I think no wonder um, everybody keeps subscribing to, to these because I think what you're doing is, is pretty amazing, um, giving people a really cool insight around how to be kind of the best version of the impossible. So keep out the good work. Cheers, appreciate it. Cheers for listening in today. I hope today's podcast helped you on your journey. Be sure to check out the show notes in the description for a rundown of today's episodes and all the important links. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to be an absolute legend, please share it with a friend on social media or by text. And let me know what you enjoyed about the episode over on our social media channels at Brian Moylet. I really love hearing your feedback and it helps us make the pod better. Also, please subscribe to the podcast on both Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And on both Spotify and Apple Podcasts, you can leave up to a five-star review. If you're in sports or business and you want to get better results, you feel like you're capable of more, you want to be happier, more fulfilled, more successful in what you are doing, head over to my website now, offfieldrugby.com, and we'll set up a time to have a chat for free. You can get my new book now on Amazon and Audible and the links are in the show notes. Thanks Emil for clicking in today. Have a brilliant rest of your day. Cheers.